Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 20th of March 2023. It's a quite gloomy, sort of overcast, rainy Glasgow, but it's bright and lovely in our minds and hearts and souls and all that um, because uh, we finished the second block of games before the international break uh, with a flourish. Um, and we'll talk about it, uh, about our game against Hibs on the weekend. Uh Kieran Devlin's here as always. Hello, Kieran. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Very excited to discuss O. Uh, that now the potentially the most handsome Celtic player now. Uh, that's a. I feel that we really have to dive into that for a good forty minutes later on. But that's a, a tease for later. Just like he was a. a I won't go down that. Road. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was great. <laughs> oh, I, I was waiting for you to pull that trigger, and I was very happy if you did. But listen. <laughs> Save it for later. Uh, Alan Edgar's here as always as well. Alan, how are you, my friend? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I was ready and standing and waiting there with a bucket of cold water for Kieran. Um, <laughs> but he managed to just um, rein it in at the right time. Good good work. Great stuff. Um, how, how, how is it in Edinburgh, Kieran? Is it still kind of rainy and stuff or a bit brighter? Uh, no, it's been grey. I feel like... Is that part, stage of spring that Scotland does? I mean, this is this isn't new information. If, you know, people live more. Well, a lot of, if not most of our listeners, live live here, so they probably recognise that March is is shit because it has like it teases you with a nice spring day, and then it will be the next day it will be minus two and pouring, and then you just feel shit about everything. But yesterday, yesterday was nice, and today it's not nice. So that's the way it goes in a, for a Scottish spring. Uh, to quote Homer Simpson, stupid smarch weather. Um, mm. But there you go. Uh, st- st- short for Scottish March, am I right? Absolutely, yeah. Alan's like, ah, what are they talking about? Uh, Alan, <laughs> how, how the hell, uh, how are you? How have you been since, since last week? All good, mate. All good. I'm a big Simpsons fan, so <laughs> crack on with those references because I actually get them instead of staring back like blankly at you um, so I'm all good mate I literally just booked the booked the boat um, over to um, Ireland for three weeks time so excited about that looking forward to that so I need to get plans together for that so feeling good feeling productive on a Monday morning so I'll, pr- I'll probably just go to bed after this to be honest actually since I've done everything now uh, what, what game will you be uh, three weeks so I, I can't figure out because it's two weeks in is it it's after the derby so it's it's a midweek, so I don't actually think we'll have a game unless there's a midweek game on the twelfth of April. So I'm hoping it's a ugh, I'm hoping to that we do that on the Saturday and then I'm leaving on the twelfth. Only going for three nights. But um that would be nice to me. It would just make the driving really comfortable. Yeah, it would just make life a lot easier to be honest. Uh we play we play Kilmarnock on the sixteenth of April. I will be back for that. Ah, unfortunately. It is away from home. Mm. Um, yeah, great part of the country, Kilmarnock. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I always think when I'm driving back, you know, from Stranraer or whatever, I always drive through and think, God, I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I've nothing against Kilmarnock, to be honest. Nothing at all. Uh, a, a good friend of the pod stays there as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm going to read it in. I love Kilmarnock. Yeah. <laughs> No matter what, even what I just said, actually, I love Kamarok. Uh, Kieran, how are you? I'd like to be excused, sorry, as I go and look at house prices and look at setting up some viewings for houses in Kamarok. I'm really going to commit to the bit. <laughs> Good. Happy with that. Um, <coughs> Jesus. Uh, Kieran, how are you? 
I'm not moving till Kamarnik. I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting on my stead right here. That's not happening. Um, I, I'm I'm good. I had a I had a nice weekend. Um, I had a nice like one of those wholesome Saturdays that uh well that did the big shop had a clean about the house did a load of house admin then made a a real pork like a like a pork belly like a Korean pork belly and cooked it and everything and it was just really nice and then I was having a lovely time until until the first eighty minutes of the Celtic game which really really sort of tried the wholesomeness of that Saturday quite a bit. Uh, but then, then uh, everything turned out well in the end, and I had some drinks. And then yesterday, went through over to Johnston to spend Mother's Day with uh, with my mum and family and everything, which was really really nice as well. So yeah, a, a great weekend, all told. Beautiful stuff. Love to hear it. I uh, love the kind of positivity in the air. Um, I, I, before we kind of actually kick on with the opening question and stuff, um, the Starting Eleven podcast. Uh, the podcast that Paul Carlin puts together uh, and, you know, speaks to different cynics about different things. Uh, Kieran Devlin was on it this weekend and uh, I listened to it yesterday and I enjoyed it thoroughly. I think it's a fantastic uh, listen. We got an email from Jordan Reynolds and it was just a really nice email saying how much he enjoyed listening to it, how um, him and his uh, partner listened to it and he's given like a lot of details about stuff you should listen to, Kieran. So I've, I've forwarded it on to you. And uh, I love from Outer Space Night in the Berkeley Suite is one of the the big ones. I don't know. It's good feedback is my point. Thanks, Jordan. We appreciate it, and I've passed it on to Kieran and to to Paul. Thank you, Jordan. That was very kind. I, I really enjoyed uh, reading it as well, and I'll check out those nights out. But yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that I wasn't speaking entirely just and everybody <laughs> just like fast forwarded ten minutes. I think that's quite sweet. So thank you very much. Great stuff. Um, okay, we got a couple of questions uh, as we always do on a Monday um, from uh, our subscribers and listeners. Thank you very much. Although, actually, see, before we start, I started watching the Traitors last night. Alan, have you watched the Traitors? No, I haven't. Stuart Diggin told me that it would be a bit tense and stressful for me. So um, he just gave me a do not watch warning. So I haven't watched it. Um, it is one of the most tense, stressful mm, kind of for me. Yeah, reality TV shows. It was kind of pitched that, you know, Stuart had mentioned it to me as well. And he, he, a few other people had. And they pitched it like it was like this unbelievable watch. Uh, and I watched the first episode. Me and Claire watched the first episode and we were kind of like, eh. Seems like a like reality TV show, uh, and then yesterday after my my mum and everyone left our house, was like, shall we watch another one? Just come on, let's just watch. And we sat on our on our couch for six hours and watched six episodes in a row. And I've never been. Kieran, have you seen it? No, I, I, I do. I would like to see it. I've got a real sort of snob snobbishness towards reality TV that isn't MasterChef, <laughs> but but I probably should. I probably should just. Uh, Get over myself uh, and oh, give a go. I'm not the biggest reality TV guy either, but holy mackerel, it really just it captivates. Alan, I think you should probably give it a go. I, Stuart's right; you will be, you know, behind your sofa at the end of it. But you know, it's good. I'm watching. I have been watching Your Honor season two, oh. so that's kind of providing all the darkness that I really need at this point in time. So one episode of that every three days. That's I'm kind of rationing it. So maybe when that's finished, I probably won't watch it. I'm not going to lie, though. <laughs> that's fine. Probably not going to happen. I'm going to heed Stuart Duggan's warning. He stayed me in the right direction before, so I feel like I've got to put faith in him. I really, really appreciate your honesty, Alan. I'm not going to watch it. That's fine. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, let's get the opening question. It's from Liam. Uh, Liam sends in this question. Um, now we're in the final stretch of the season. What does Celtic need to do to give us the biggest chance of completing the treble? 
just more of the same given how good we've been or do we need any tweaks slash improvements obviously this will eventually lead into us talking about the, the game at the weekend but what's your thoughts on that alan is that a case of just keep doing what you're doing or are there any tweaks or you know, things we can do slightly differently i don't know what's your thoughts yeah i mean keep doing what you're doing sounds good because well we're winning a lot consistently and usually winning quite comfortably as well so it's hard to deviate from that but I think the interesting part is how you how you get to that stage um, and I think we talked about it we started kind of touching on it last week a little bit three games against Rangers I think one of the biggest issues that you might have now is a little bit of complacency um, coming in not because you know the players are taking their eye off the ball but it must be quite difficult to just win consistently and even do that when you're not at your best. So I think what you probably need to try and do is drive improvement. And tweaks is an interesting way to put it because I think um, I think after the weekend's performance, those are the occasions in which you then think, right, actually, this will be a, you know, I think people will use the kind of expression like a teaching moment where you actually think, right, we won the game, but there was a little bit of jeopardy. Where did that come from? Where is that, that that famous word that a previous manager would use a lot, malaise, if you want to put it down in that? Where does that come from? How do we step out of that? Because I think sometimes one of the criticisms we had, not this season certainly, but last season, about the performances was that sometimes if we didn't start the game well, it would be then difficult for us to drive on. Whereas I think this year has been entirely different. Performances have been largely superb domestically. So I think it is just about taking any sort of difficulty, jeopardy, whatever you want to call it, and then try and work through it and look at that and say, how do we kind of get past that? And you will have a more difficult run of games towards the end of the season than you probably have had to this point because you're playing top six and because you've got three games and, you know, what eight weeks against strangers. There is going to be a lot more difficult games. So there's enough there for the manager to kind of use and, you know, use that expression, the toolkit at the weekend. There's a lot in there which he can use to kind of drive on performance and not just say, let's keep doing what we're doing because it's working. Actually try and drive on and step up that level a little bit. And I think changes, maybe guys coming into the team will start to, they've they've given us a lot this season from the bench, changes that kind of fresh impetus. I think it's just about trying to get that from more players and driving players on and you know, when we come on to that a wee bit when we talk about Saturday as well. Yeah, absolutely. Kieran, obviously, uh, Bit of tenseness on Saturday, Alan kind of uh, points out uh, various points there. What's your kind of take on it? Is there anything you'd like you'd like to see us do differently, or is it a case of just trying focus and kind of just improve as we go? I I think there will be a, I think there will as Alan's saying there's a couple of like teaching learning points from Saturday. You know, I've, I'm not going to beat the same drum I've been beating all season, but our playing out from the back was quite poor a lot of the time on Saturday, and I do think. If anything, Saturday was a massive advert for what Hitati gives this team that they lack without him. Because uh, I thought without him, we were just relying on set pieces and crosses. I did, we just weren't creating from central areas, which I've talked on before. Hitati is so good at doing. Um, I, I, that is a little worrying. I do think Haxabanovic coming on and being in that central area is really interesting. And I do wonder whether if Hitati is going to be out for some time, Christ, fuck's sake, let's hope he's back after the international <laughs> break, because otherwise I'll be uh, sweating the entire... Just like just like a Wednesday morning, I'll just be having the shite bag sweats. 
Um, but like, um, yeah, I think there was a couple of those things, but it's not stuff necessarily that's, I wouldn't say there was anything novel, you know, it's all stuff that we've discussed before, it's all stuff that our cynic pods have discussed before. I do, but I think the Hacks Badge Central, I think could be an interesting proposition, especially if you are, you know, if a bad is going to be your first go-to sub. Um, I think maybe if Haddad is going to be out with Turnbull, Jesus, with, with him looking just just like not up to it, then I think maybe there's an opportunity there because he is a different player to Moy and O'Reilly. You know, he might not have their um, their ability with to ping balls in behind in the same way, but he's got a mobility there and agility that those two don't have that I think could be useful. That's quite similar to Hatati. But um, I do think it's, you know, it is just like preserving that, that team and that drive. And you know, the fact that we are getting good performances from subs off the bench that are driving us on, I think is really positive. And as Alan's saying, you've got nine, you've got a maximum of uh, 11 games left this season. That's not a whole lot of football to be played. We've discussed it before that it does feel like that starting 11, or at least the, you know, the first 14, 15 players are pretty set. It's just every now and then there'll be some rotation of who's starting, but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens after the break. Like if, if you know, Awata, Moy and Hitati, if one, two or the three of them are out for maybe longer than expected or hoped, then I think it'll be that midfield could be quite an interesting. It'll be a big challenge for Ange to try and sort out, to try and balance that midfield and how it affects the rest of the team. You know, you know it's quite interesting because... I've, you know, we did the reaction on on uh, Saturday, uh, myself, Barry, and, and Bowd, and you know, speaking to my dad yesterday, and um, I'm, I'm sure everyone's had the same sort of conversations about Hatati kind of dropping out. Um, Celtic aren't a one man team. We aren't. We've got quality all over the pitch, but at the same time, I think those three in the central midfield are so key and so critical to what we do, and there is such a difference when Hatati's not there. Like quite a quite a big difference. Is that a worry, Alan? That again, I'm not. We're not a one man team. Of course, we're not. But he is such a key player that when he's not available, it almost doesn't. It's always Hatati plus whoever. It's, it seems to be that <clears throat> will get us through. When you take him out of the picture, it's a very different story. Would you be looking at that in the future at, 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 over like over summer or Jink Ange is planning now, thinking we need someone similar to him or someone of that quality because him plus one works minus him in this team you know it's quality wise we drop off a wee bit yeah there was I mean we say there was a drop off I don't know if I don't think it was on the park long enough for us to know that the performance would have been significantly different if he'd stayed on I think we all believe a lot in Rio Hitati I think we're all on here pretty Comfortable in saying he's probably one of two, three, maybe players that you would protect at all costs, yeah. along with Callum McGregor. Um, but I think at the weekend, and specific to Saturday, I don't think he was on long enough to know that we would have been much more controlling in the game. I think that's that's making an assumption that's a little bit unfair. Um, and I think instead of looking at that and looking at him going off and putting it all down to that, I think you. For me, I was extremely critical of, um, I think, the two midfield players, to be honest, um, Matt O'Reilly and David Turnbull. And I, I like them both. I think I've actually been, particularly with David Turnbull, maybe been a little bit more defensive of him. And I think at the weekend, it's it's a different situation for him coming into the game as it was for Matt O'Reilly. Matt O'Reilly started the game 
Aaron Moy was out, out with an injury. It was a great opportunity for him to, to be honest, I think he could have reclaimed the jersey. And I think that's the way it is because I think it is tight between them. Um, if he would have played well there, I wouldn't be surprised then if when Moy came back, he found himself on the bench. That is the nature of the game. But it, I don't want to be overcritical because it is only 90 minutes, but it offered nothing in the game. And I think both him and David Turnbull, it's a complete opportunity missed. Um, I know it was a frustrating game. I don't think the, the, no, I don't think anyone had an exceptional day. And I think the team were poor throughout. But so much comes from those guys, especially when the team goes down to 10 men. You're the guys that are there to unlock. And I just think the game largely passed them by. And um, I think it's it, absolutely, if Rio Hattati is not available, there's not a like-for-like replacement for him. So you have to pick someone else and just adapt your game differently. I don't think, though, any of the replacements that you have for Rio Hattati have either the same engine and willingness to get into the position to receive the ball from the defenders. And they also just don't have the same quality ability on the ball. So I think it is a Andrew... Uh, you know, Hatati's out for four to six weeks. If it's less, he'll work with it because that's what we've done. We've largely worked through players being missing and he will be a loss. But you then just have to look at then who's next in line and say, you're up and you need to offer more than you did, I think, on Saturday. So I think for other players, if they drop in, they don't have a great game. We talked about that last week. I think Andrew's okay with it because he sees him in training. He believes in the players and he'll believe, no doubt, in Matt O'Reilly and David Turnbull if he has to again. But when you get a golden opportunity like that to reclaim yeah. your spot, you need to do more. You need to work a little bit harder. And I think Matt O'Reilly obviously coming off, he's not played as much football recently. If he would have been having himself a better game, I don't doubt for a second he would have kept him on the park. But it wasn't much of a, an issue to take him off. And that, I think that's why he was kind of one of the, the earlier ones to come off. So disappointing. I understand the point about Hitati and uh, Kieran's point about the defenders. I don't think they were great at the weekend, but I think a lot of it came down to the two guys that had a huge opportunity on Saturday and it really passed them both by. Um, It comes back to that. I think we talked about it recently. Some players at times, they can actually, playing more football seems to harm their chances of getting a start, which sounds bizarre, but I think that's particularly for the both of those midfielders. It it did not help their case at all. If all the other players are back after the international break, Awata, Moy, I wouldn't be surprised if they're you know, straight back in, to be honest. In regards to those two number eights, you mentioned O'Reilly and Turnbull, and, you know, um, there's some chat on Twitter about kind of the reaction we did where, uh, you know, uh, people were quick to point out that David Turnbull had two assists in the game and, you know, almost that idea that Turnbull's the easy target, I guess, and that we're more, and I mean the whole support, not just us, are probably more likely to be not as critical of, of Matt O'Reilly. We kind of hit out, out with the same sort of platitudes. You know, oh, he started the season, he was great last season and he started well and he's dropped off a little bit. Um, but I, I, I'm, I can maybe see there's a bit of a bias that we're giving more, less criticism to Matt O'Reilly than we do to David Turnbull. Um, I think it's two different cases, personally, but Kieran, you know, Matt O'Reilly, as Alan say, do you want to come in, Alan? Sorry, were you going to come in there? Yeah, I think the only, just very, very quickly, the only thing that I would point out that but David Turnbull was a very different situation coming on at that time in the game. Um, and he has had extremely limited game time. Whereas I think Matt O'Reilly, you would expect a, a greater level of comfort because he has been in and around the team and he's been kept out by a player who's playing outstanding. Whereas David Turnbull came on, you know, early on in the game, didn't start it, has to find that rhythm of the game. So I think if I had, I would be slightly less critical of him. 
But the principle for both of them is the same. You get an opportunity, you need to do something to make it hard for the manager to leave you out. And I think that first team selection after the international break, largely the decision, if everyone's fit and available, will be fairly straightforward for Ange Postecoglou, I think. And that's the nature of it. I think when you're on the sidelines, your job is to make managers harder. And not to overdo it, I don't think either of the players really would have given the manager too much food for thought in that kind of those middle three areas for that first game back, as I say, if everyone's fit and available. It's just one game. They're both still good players, but your job is to... There's only 11 games left, as you mentioned. If you want to play in those games, you need to do more, um, quite simply. Keaton, your thoughts? Yeah, I think I think they, they are they are different. I think the, the issue for me, there's, there's two of them, is that I I think O'Reilly, O'Reilly's been... He had a really bad game on, on Saturday. He, he was really, really poor. Um, but... I think for me, I think his the idea that he's had in a bad season, I, personally, I feel is a little overstated. I think he's had good games. He's had some major contributions. He's not, not come close to fulfilling the potential we thought he had after last season ended or at the start of this season. Um, I, I think he has been inconsistent, but he's put in some good performances over the run. It's just been frustratingly inconsistent. I think Turnbull's been poor all season. I, I you know He scored some good goals, but in his all-round play, I just think he just looks... He just doesn't look there. I think that's the issue. It's just like a, a continuation of his, his season form. Um, I think that's the the thing for me. O'Reilly, you can say, you know, he might he might play well again after the break. He, he might not. I I do think Turnbull's form is worse than O'Reilly's. And I think the, the other thing you'd say, well, I, I'd also say that personally, I think O'Reilly's medium is higher than. Uh, Turnbulls. It's what something we we talked about before. Like their like average performance. It's something we mentioned with um, Abada and Hack Spanish last last week. Actually, when they have an off game, I think they're still contributing enough in terms of looking after the ball. Okay, maybe in terms of defensive recovery. Um, that you know it's frustrating because they're not nowhere near their ability. But I think they're they're doing the job. To, to an okay extent but I think Turnbull has a bit of the Abadas thing of when they have a bad game they have a really bad game um, when they're not looking after the ball they're making bad decisions and they're slowing everything down I think that's the thing I'd probably put forward that's not to excuse I know I think there's, it's fair to say that maybe people are in the O'Reilly camp and people in the Turnbull camp and I'm more in the, the O'Reilly camp but um, that's probably where I stand on it but this is O'Reilly it hasn't having a great season and he had a very bad game on Saturday Alan? I, th- I think just the, I, I'm not sure if people watched at home or, you know, if you're in the stadium, you, the one thing that comes across to Matt O'Reilly, I think, is that he is just cutting a very frustrated figure at the moment. Um, he's getting into spaces where he wants to receive the ball and it's not coming into him. Um, maybe something you could look at a little bit more, but I think that we talked about it, I think it might have been last week, we were talking about O'Reilly and I think this, the reason it is maybe just that little bit easier to leave him out the team just now is that I think he's one of the most intelligent players in terms of football intelligence on the park because he sees spaces, he gets into them and he, when he receives the ball in there he can be very impactful with them. He's he just struggling a little bit though to imprint himself on games and I think in those areas you do need to be on the ball more and you need to impact it more and he's getting into very good areas but it's not coming in and I think there's just... He is just cutting that slightly frustrated figure. There's a lot of hands up in the air, kind of a lot of kind of huffing on the park. And to be honest, I, I quite like that. 
um, because I like it when a player doesn't get the ball, he doesn't see it as his problem, he sees it as somebody else should have given him the ball. I like that, that's what, what competitive players do. But he does need to try and get himself in more. It just feels like he's maybe just, he's all, almost in a kind of slightly different wavelength a little bit from the other players at the moment. And that needs to, I think for him to play his best, that needs to kind of pick up a little bit. But I think the reason we're maybe inclined to be a little bit more frustrated with O'Reilly is for exactly the reason we've just talked about. We see his potential, we see how good he is. I think we maybe think he's a little bit older than he is, just because of how he you know, carries himself. He's very professional, but he is still a very young player, so maybe that inconsistency is entirely natural. But I think the reason we get frustrated with him is because he is such a talented player, and when he plays at his best, he can easily be one of the stars in the team. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we touched on it in the, uh, you know, the reaction that if Awata and Moy were fit and available, you know, I, I don't think Tumble comes on in that game. Um, yeah. I, might, I, might, I might be wrong, but, you know, I, I don't think Tumble comes on. I think he's dropped down the pecking order to the point where if everyone's fit, he's, mm-hmm. you know, not not going to be brought on. But, you know, as we say, um, the O'Reilly kind of, I'm just frustrated at being frustrated, I guess, because I think Matt Riley's a massive talent. I think he's someone who has the profile that you look for and you think exactly everything t- ticks every box. And as Alan says, it's just there's just a little bit of a disconnect there. Um, I think his ceiling's bigger than Turnbull's as well, and I, and I think he's younger than Turnbull, and all that stuff plays into the sort of the mindset of Turnbull's had his opportunity to an extent. Ah, yeah. It is what it is, and I think we'll. I think Turnbull will move on at the end of the season, and I think he'll go on to have a great career. So there we go. Uh, you disagree? I don't necessarily see it. I, I think it goes back to the conversation we had in the weekly. I, I, I don't know if you would get value from selling David Turnbull in the summer. I just I don't see the value in selling him at this point in time. I'd, I think I'd prefer him to go and maybe go on a good loan move okay. for a full year, not a six month, and then renew his contract because I wouldn't be surprised if he goes elsewhere and thrives. And I just think if you were to sell him in the summer, I don't think you would get what he's worth because I think he's in a, kind of a lower ebb at the moment of his value. And I think he can play much better than he is at the moment, whether that's here or elsewhere. But I just think if you were to sell him in the summer, I would be tempted to renew his contract and then let him go on a really good loan move and then see where you are in a year's time because I think it's too good a player to sell for a nominal fee. I, I genuinely think if you were to sell him for, what, two, three, four million, I just don't see that doesn't really add up for me. So I'd rather hang on to him and um, try and see if he can get a little bit more down the line. Uh, no, I agree. I agree with that in regards to like giving him an opportunity because you know he's not going to play Celtic. He's just not. Just he's not going to play the now. We're probably going to go into this transfer window and maybe bring in another couple of players as well. So he's not going to get that opportunity. But if you gave him, I agree with that. If you give him a good loan and you give him that platform to really go and play every week, ninety minutes, you know, I, I think he yeah. could he could really develop as well. Um, so, but, but, sorry, Keen. Just just very quickly, David Turnbull is a player made for Serie A. Like join, you know, the Scottish market is in real high, held in high regard in recent years in Serie A. The, the the pace of the football is a lot slower. He gets that time in the ball that he needs to really create and perform, which we know he can when he's given time in the ball and he's allowed time in the ball. I think that's just like that type of move, like a like a Bologna or Sampdoria or something, is tailor made for him. So I think that'd be perfect if they, you know, a nice wee loan with a option to buy at the end for seven or eight million. That'd be great. I'd love that. Or seventy eight million. 
I like I like the idea that Celtic's loan manager was just about to pick up the forty Queens Park there as well. And he's like, ah, fuck's sake, I need to make an international call now. Uh, I my commission fee is twenty percent. <laughs> Nine plus four four. Um, okay, so that was him dialing the phone. Um, we've got some other news. Uh, the president of Lailabada's old club, uh, Maccabi Petakikva, uh, has came out. He's got some quotes about Abada. I'll just read them out. Um, I believe Abada will be sold in the summer to the Premier League. There were talks already in the last window, but he didn't want to be sold. They offered him a contract extension and I know he didn't agree because he wants to be sold. I don't know the names of teams. Oh, that's convenient. But there are offers and I believe a probability level of over 90% that he'll move to the Premier League in the summer. I hope that he will continue to score goals in the end of the season. Uh, I don't know what the fuck this guy's talking about. You know, like, who's this chump telling the telling us about our players? However, I was thinking about it this morning and I'm thinking to myself, do they have a sell-on fee? Does it, like is it a percentage and it's just a case of let's ramp it up boys let's ramp up the promotion um you know if, if, if we if we take some of these kind of quotes as you know kind of real terms right um so this guy the the, the president of his former club believes that he's going to be sold in the summer to a premier league team and that there were talks in the last window uh but he didn't want to be sold so you know, maybe he wants. To, let's say that. Let's say there is kind of relevance to that. Maybe he wanted to. Maybe he wants to stay and get another medal. We'd get a medal anyway. But you know, what's the kind of thinking behind that, uh, Kieran? You, you, yourself, you, you know, do you think Lyle Abada is is kind of the? If Celtic have to sell a sort of big player in regards to the first team with potential, is he the guy you think might head out the door in the summer? Yeah, I think that's. I think we've discussed him before as somebody that's maybe one of your most valuable assets that wouldn't have the most significant impact on the team. You know, he's not a guaranteed starter. He he's somebody who, you know, he, he gets loads of goals and assists. And there's there's something there. We've talked that he's a frustrating young man, but there's there's something there. He's a great positioning inside the box. I I'd be curious to know whether a Premier League team would come in for him. Alan's talked about it before you know I think we just we can say oh we can, we can just say he's this age bracket he's got all these goals and assists but they do have like very comprehensive scouting uh, networks down there they've got the infrastructure to look at maybe uh, the times he loses the ball or etc or makes their, their own decision so there is I'd be really curious to know what his actual valuation is I think if you're Celtic you'd want at least 10 million for him um, I think I, I, I think you can at least try and you know lobby to get that eight figures. Um, I'm not, no idea what the uh, selling clause would be, but I think I think wings potentially an area where you could improve. I think there's maybe if you were to sell a badder, I think, and you're only to bring in you know only three or four transfers this summer. I think it could be could well wise. It's Champions League money. You could sell a badder for ten million quid. You bring in your goalkeeper, your number eight, your winger, maybe another position that people would like strengthened. I think that's the, it's the kind of it would make a really sound strategic sense to do the, that kind of action rather than sell a you know a Hatati or Kyogo or CCV. You know, you you maybe go, go for, you know basically <laughs> your spine of the, one of your spine of your team. It would make more sense to go somebody who's in the periphery, but you can get good value for the, for selling them. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. Like obviously, I, I don't have the contacts anymore, so I have no idea like how much validity there is to these quotes or anything, but. Yeah, I'd be interested to see what the market for him would look like. 
I just love the way the guy keeps saying Premier League. Uh, Premier League. We're going to. See, he's going to go to the Premier League. Also, the Premier League. Ninety uh, percent uh, probability. Uh, Alan, you know we, we've talked as Keenan says we, we've we've talked about this previously. Stuff these quotes obviously coming out are you know there's a certain level of you know you know the status behind it in regards to what they want to do and stuff. So you know uh, could they get a move to the Premier League? Um, would it be a case of Celtic approaching a club saying, listen, here's this is the value, and they're like, okay, we'll go and look at the reports, and we go, no, 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 honestly, it's fine, look, hey, look. We need to do the deal today. Yes, to yes. right now. Let, let, here's how many goals he scored. Um, we'll go and Salesman look. 101, create urgency. <laughs> exactly. What, what's your I don't know if that is true. <laughs> I really don't know. I couldn't say anything. Um, you said that with such confidence there that I was like, oh, he must have been a salesman at some point. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, I think... It, it, I would like to, I think it was Scott Fleming on the website uh, quite a bit of time ago that wrote and kind of suggested a Leela about a opinion amnesty. And I think that should apply to even talking about his potential or can he play at a certain level? Because he is a bizarre player at times, <laughs> as in he can be lethal, but he can also really look like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be too harsh, but he can, he can just look like he's not, maybe not comfortable at the level sometimes um, but I think I, I don't doubt that a Premier League team would take a look at him take a, a go at him um, I think when you score goals you have that kind of ability I think particularly a certain profile of team because I think he is a hard worker um, he, he does do a lot of running um, kind of on the defensive side of the game I could imagine teams that don't maybe have the ball quite as much would look at him and think he would be a real option. You think about the times when Leila Bada can be really impactful for us. In fact, Saturday was maybe a good example. When he came on, it was when the game started to open up a little bit towards the end. He has a real threat in behind. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be, t- I think it would be, would be a bit unreasonable if we were to suggest that there would be no Premier League interest in him. And I think um, you would. In terms of valuation, I, I really don't know. But I think to make it stack up from Celtic's point of view, you would be looking at north of 10 million because I presume there would be a sell on. You spent about four and a half million on him and you would need to buy a first team ready player in that position if he went. So I think you would be looking at 12 million upwards um, because, it, I mean, he's got three years left in his deal as well. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if something happened this summer. You know, that would be two years he's been here and he's been a real success. Um probably optimum time would be this summer it would be nice if he could have a strong end to the season that would maybe help with that as well um, but yeah I don't know what clubs but I think at the kind of lower end of the table against a non-possession based side I think they would look at Lealabad and think we'd like a player of that threat um, so I think he would get a, a Premier League move um, but just not not at the top end of the table just yet I think if you look at like Jota right Jota obviously you know we, we signed him in the summer and you know, he's been an ever-present, with the exception of the time kind of Ange kind of pulled him up and gave him a wee bit of a kind of scolding. Um, and he seems to have kind of taken that on board. And But someone like, there are certain positions that are probably always going to be taken up by the player in the jersey. Callum McGregor, obviously. Joe Hart currently. Cameron Carter-Vickers. Uh, Greg Taylor. Uh, Kyogo. Jota? Like, you know... These guys are, and Hatati, like these guys are always going to be picked if they're available, fit and available usually, even if Ange is looking to kind of 
rest. These are the six, seven players that I think that are always going to focus. But I always think it's interesting, someone like Abada who came in and had such a big impact. And, you know, you, you always talk about um, the quality he has and, and, and the quality that he's provided since he came in. He just he's went from being a first team player. It's almost, it's interesting that he's went from being like a first choice pick last season, and you could talk about how there weren't as many options last season, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that's fine. But he's not a first choice pick. You know, he, he's only had two starts since January, and you know he's playing. He's getting enough game time, maybe not from his point of view, but it's just quite a funny kind of. It's not an evolution of his kind of game. It's almost like a. Devolution? I don't know, whatever. But like, you know, it's it's funny that he would, he would start in such a strong position and kind of drop off like that. And we're still kind of looking at getting a big figure for him. And I know we've touched on that before, but I, ju- I just think Abada is just such an odd player in regards to all of the things I've just said and the fact that he scores so many goals and the fact that if he was available, there probably would be a lot of interest in him and, you know, his profile with his age and all that. So again, um, get him to fuck. Um, it's it's nice to have problems like this yeah. if you describe it as a problem because in previous years you would be talking about wingers that you signed for a nominal fee who came in you played them three or four times and then you realised they were awful yeah. and then you just could not get them out the door and we had loads of them over the years not dissimilar from the striker situation that we had for many years where anything below two million you could sign off on and you'd just get whoever whereas Abadis came in made a huge impact does have a significant sell-on value, has right side of the age bracket, everything, and yet he's still not a starter. So if you want to call it a problem, it's as luxury a problem as we've probably had in a long time. A luxurious problem, Alan. I like the sound of that. That sounds terrific. First, first world problem. Yes. Uh, first world club problem. Uh, you, you can't do memes, Alan. Come on. Nah, it's <laughs> so much strength. Or as my sister says, memes. And she said it with a straight face and uh, made clear myself and clear laugh. Um, does she do it? Yeah. I was about to say, does she sound like Al Jolson when she does it? Mimi. Mimi. Um, following the decision, uh, well, well, let's just kind of focus on the fact about the, the derbies that, you know, there's not going to be any away fans. Um, you know, I think Celtic wanted to pursue a full allocation. Um, Rangers refused that. And then kind of the, the talks talked that broke down and I think Celtic were citing you know fan safety and the fact that putting a small amount of fans in that situation you know I I was just I was looking at kind of some reports this morning and a genuine mainstream media uh, article had a quotes and the quotes were from genuinely the quotes were from a footy insider the quotes actually were from a footy insider not even a football insider, not even a Celtic or Rangers insider, a footy insider. Uh, and I just want to read these quotes because they're laughable. Both clubs have been in talks over a number of issues involving violence inside both stadiums. don't remember there being violence in our stadium. And deserve credit for taking action until it was sorted. There have been a growing number of incidents, objects thrown into away sections, including flares, lighters, vapes, and bottles. I think the, I mean you can go and watch games and see it actually happening live if you want, guys. You know, there's it seems to be acted as this is a very acted as bad as each other uh, report. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you think that we lose something? What's your thoughts on it, Kieran, in regards to the away, away fans? We're, you can see what where, where this is all coming from, but do you think it takes away from the spectacle, or do you not give a fuck? 
Um, obviously, it was incredibly funny when we used to just battle them um, during their, their, their Diddy years and we had the 8,000 there. And then you could see all the 8,000. I think Keith made the point in one of the Cynics chats. It was also because you can see us in the um, on Sky, on the, on Sky Sports, on telly. You can see everyone celebrating after we beat them 5-0 or 5-1 or whatever it is. Um, and that was, it was just a good time. And obviously that was their catalyst for all the, all the crap about, oh, we want to get as many fans in to watch it as possible. It was just like, oh, we think we have, they have fewer fans in the ground. We can win more matches, um, which is, it's, it's very petty. The entire thing is very, very petty, but, um, Personally, no. I think I've just got used to the new normal. I think this is the way it is, and I, 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 you know, I do maybe do miss the seeing all that. I've never, I've never gone been in the, been to Ibrox for a away game apart from when I was in the press box, which is a very different, very different atmosphere. <laughs> um, very different. But like, I, so I, so I can't comment on and whether I missed the in person side of things. But I do think it, it was. It was always funny when you know. It's, it was. It's always funny when we beat them away, but when we lost at home and there was 8,000 of them that that felt shit that felt really bad and grim when they were all celebrating so I guess it's like you know swings around about so I think personally I've just got a bit used to the new normal and I'm I don't have any uh I'm not overly invested in either option at this point uh Alan what's your thoughts yeah I I seen Celtic getting their side out of it. I think there was a simultaneous tweet from every fun. Celtic outlet um, going. So Celtic were obviously sent to all um, and get their side across, which does make sense. To be fair, um, I think there's no value in having what 800 at Ibrox and a thousand at Celtic Park. It, it, it doesn't add to the spectacle; it just becomes a, a bit of a nuisance. Um, it creates a mentality that's just entirely different. So. I don't really see any difference between 800 and zero. Um, but I, I've always said the same. It should be, you should have proper allocation of away fans, whether that is, you know, for us, the full Brumone stand or whether it is a, a larger section. But you, there should be a proper allocation for people to go and watch the game. Um, and Celtic should give Rangers the same. But I think it's, again, the timing of it. The Rangers really want... Celtic fans in for the last derby of the season by which time the league might be done I mean come on it just seems you know it seems a, a convenient time to do it if if we do go back to full allocation I would imagine it would be a bit of it would be in a time when Rangers are a little more amenable to having Celtic fans in their stadium and it's unlikely that that will be between now and um, June which is quite funny um, so yeah, no change, but I would like it to go back to proper allocations. I don't, it's not the same spectacle when there's um, when but there's not proper allocations at both stadiums. Um, I've always been the same on that. I think most people are as well. To be honest, most people that go to games would tell you it's it's a very different experience. Even just watching them from the you know from Celtic Park, you know, I was there when uh, the Hugh Dallas get hit with a coin and all that, and you know they won the, that day, and it, you know it was horrendous, but. It, it is what it is like I, I agree I, I want full allocation and if they're going to shite it then you know that's there good Alice was an esteemed guest on Sports, Sports Sound yesterday afternoon as well oh, so uh, yeah. good to see who Dallas is still doing well yeah absolutely Um, the man who enjoys Does, the man, doesn't talk to his son about refereeing decisions apparently Um. Yeah, the man, is interesting the man who enjoys sending out uh, bigoted emails uh, and uh Various other things. Um, 
Okay, let's move on because we, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole with you, Dallas, but because we Because girl solicitors told them to be careful. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I wanted Allegedly. To, I wanted to pick up this, uh, a talking point that we didn't have a chance to pick up last week. Um, and it's just, I know that kind of, uh, there's been a lot of kind of discussion and debate about it. And I, I spoke to, uh, Sean from, uh, the Hibs Ramble about it on, on Friday on the weekend update. Got, I got his perspective, which was quite interesting. I'd like to get you guys' perspective on, Craig Levine's idea. Um, he wants Celtic and Rangers out of the least competitive league in Europe. So basically what he did was he went on and he just slated the league, talking about how poor it is, how rubbish it is. Um, then he started talking about how the old firm are ruining it. My my views are very straightforward. When the next financial crisis happens in the Premier League in England, okay, and they are looking for something different, then I would absolutely drive the old firm, in inverted commas, down there myself. I would love the two of them to play in England and represent Scotland, get the money that's associated with that, with which they can allow to be competitive in the league. And if at the same time, they are both give the teams in Scotland £50 million a year. So a combined £100 million for allowing them to move down there, that would allow the Scottish game to grow immensely. It's a bit of a pipe dream, maybe, but I can't see any other way Scottish football as competitive as everyone wants it to be. If the old firm are playing in England and playing for the privilege and they wouldn't miss 50 million quid each, then all the, okay, okay, then all the other teams up here could raise their level significantly. Then you have a level in Scotland. So essentially, the question I'm asking is, are Celtic and Rangers, um, if Celtic and Rangers leave Scottish football, does that solve all of their problems? Does Scottish football all of a sudden become this sort of footballing paradise where it's the most competitive league in the world and everyone's having a great time and we're sending money back to them? Let's send money back home to the, you know, the, the kids back home. What the f- Like... <sighs> Kieran? Uh... It was just, it was, it's quite embarrassing here. I hadn't, I'd, I'd seen it on, on the news sites and stuff, but I hadn't heard those exact quotes and they're quite embarrassingly vapid, to be honest. Well, first of all, where is he getting 50 million each from? Like, he just, he just put, he literally just pulled this figure out of thin air. Well, you shouldn't be having, you shouldn't be allowed to broadcast it on public channels if you're just going to pose this nonsense. Um, but it's also, it's just like, it's just that, you know, a newly, it's the same old bollocks we see, you know, once a year, twice a year from some past it guy in Scottish football who doesn't really, you know, he's he's a figure, he's had some success relative in Scotland, but he's not really, he's not done anything recently. And that doesn't make him this arbiter, this particularly informed uh, figure who understands the mechanics or the intricacies of what's going on here. Is it... Is, it <sighs> But it's just like a new lick of plate, new lick of paint, and they're just making. It's just bizarre. Like, I don't. Get, I don't understand. Okay, yeah, it is a very, very uncompetitive environment for everyone else in Scottish football. That's 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 clear. But the the, the purpose isn't just to send us packing, and then you know we become some mid-table team in the Premier League, and then we have this moral up. You know, Celtic's a PLC. Like what? What after they leave Scottish football? You know, once after they leave, what? obligation do they have legal or it would just be more like out of this sense of moral decency they're going to send 50 million quid of their wild. Just, like, as like a, wild. like a charitable donation um you know it's a plc what's they going to do um it's, it's just it's just like it's it just feels like the guy doesn't really he's just ranting and raving and wanting you know a quote in the paper without actually thinking through any of the mechanics of how this would actually unravel 
It's bizarre. And as you say, like as you make the point, just Celtic leaving Rangers and sending fifty million. Okay, that amount of money would you know that's a lot of money. You can invest in projects. You can invest in infrastructure. Do you have any sort of faith in the the leadership at the top of Scot- Scottish football and any of the um, the governing bodies to use that money wisely or use it the long term investment to Scotland where we can you know become the Belgium or the Netherlands or something over a, over a few years over a decade? Absolutely not. They will just use it for I don't know give all the you know give under fives iPads in the stadium or some nonsense like that rather oh, than hold, investing hold, it shrewdly hold on a minute that sounds quite good to be honest <laughs> I think my, my nephew may actually come at the football then um, I, I loved Alan while that was happening Alan was kind of shaking on like slowly going from side to side and I can imagine just like Craig Levine having this interview and he's like um how would you fix Scottish football and he's like eh just going back side to side like that eh I don't know 50 million quid send Rangers and Celtic packing and give us 50 million quid because the opening opening quote is um, I hesitate to say if this is the poorest flight because I'd need to see all the facts and figures from down the years but what I would say is we've got the least competitive league in Europe it's like uh, well, we also don't Was it, isn't it Moldova or someone where they've won 16 seasons in a row or something like it's, 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 it's bullshit and also the, the fact is like Juventus did nine in, Juventus did nine in a row Bayern Munich get, at, so the question is no actually Alan what's your point what's your thoughts I've genuinely spent the last four minutes thinking how awful it would be to have Craig Levine drive you down to even if it was literally just across the board don't drop you off you'd have to spend <laughs> from my house to Gretna probably about 90 minutes in a car with Craig Levine and honestly I just think no, nothing would be worth it I wouldn't do that for 50 million quid today I could not sit and listen to Craig Levine just talk about how not playing a striker was actually the intelligent thing to do and that he was a visionary and that he never foreseen that they would lose a corner and lose a goal that would then put a pin in the whole thing um, I did, I've said that before on here so many times I don't understand of all the people that the BBC could pick to be a pundit and have a podcast and they picked Craig Levine, genuinely one of the most <sighs> least charismatic people you could get in Scottish football. And he's now trying to reinvent himself as this kind of radio personality. Um, it's just, it's not for me. And the idea is just, it's just plucked out of thin air. It's like, we've not got a lot to talk about today. Might be an idea for Scottish football. Sure. Aye. How much? 50 million, spent a lot of money in it when Aye. you think about it, each. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I th- uh, it's, it's Craig Levine just, it, it sounds like somebody that sat with a bottle of whiskey one night and thought, i tell you what I'm going to do, this is a great idea. And then the next day, we've just ran with it and went with it. So, yeah, I'll look forward to seeing his white paper on it. I'm sure that'll be interesting. Um, the, the funny thing is, though, like, obviously, if you take Celtic and Rangers out of the league, who would be top let me think about who would be top who would be top of the, oh it would be Hearts okay very I bet good. Craig Levine would take a management job then as well <laughs> yeah I, I also also think as well maybe feeds into maybe the way that you actually improve the league and I think Ange Postacoglu granted we love the guy so anything he says will go with it just try and be a bit more aspirational try and do it and I think some of the other clubs in the league are trying to do some interesting things with their fan base with what they're doing they're not having great results in the park but I think off the park the league is actually in a stronger place than it has been for quite some time. Um, and that will feed on to the quality on the part. I think this year has been poor um, and teams have kind of struggled. But generally, the league's in a better place than it was eight, nine, ten years ago. I, I, I'm pretty confident in saying that. So um, I think it's 
it feels like a, a, a 2007, 2008 type idea as opposed to a modern day idea. Uh, just the Ange quotes, uh, he, he took um, uh, F. Mourinho's from the, the 13th uh, ranked budget in the 18 league setup, and they obviously won the league. Uh, and he was quoted as saying, and it was the first time the club I was with had won it in 15 years. I'm not saying it's easy to do. In many cases, it's a really massive jump. But you are either aspirational or not. If you want something to improve, you don't bring it to the lowest common denominator. You're not really achieving anything with that. People in this country are really passionate about their football, really passionate about their football clubs. I get that. It's only two years ago that St. Johnson won two cups. My underlying feeling, and this is not just about Scottish football or football in, or in general, but life, is I think it is way better to be aspirational than any other way. And he talks about Bayern Munich, how many have they got in a row. Forever in a day, there will be opinions on the game and it is good theatre. Great to grab your bucket of popcorn and listen to, but it's not on my radar. I'm not in that headspace. I understand that people are just, so, people are so in the moment. When, the, when was the last time Rangers and Celtic met in a Scottish Cup final? It was 2002. That tells you something. All this stuff is in the moment because we happen to be dominating the competition. In terms of the broader discussion around Scottish football, if the suggestion is that the best way to improve it is to take away the highest standard you have within the game, then I don't believe that. If you want to raise the standards, then you try and attain the highest standards that already exists. So try and build teams. I mean, he just dominates it, uh, kind of lays it out really well. The, the only thing I would have liked it if the Celtic media um, rep had stepped in and told Ange that we, we, we don't really count those trophies in that season and <laughs> that you mentioned so if you could just well, just um, yeah, no, yeah, just not go so big in that season nah. um, we don't really count those trophies mate so good points otherwise but pick another season pick another year um, in regard to um, yeah I, I just think it's interesting you know Scottish football teams have consistently over the last you know 10-15 years when it comes to European qualifiers and I include Celtic in this at times uh, getting scudded by teams that they just shouldn't have got scudded by. I mean, is that Celtic's fault? Is that, you know, Aberdeen losing to, you know, Sconto Riga? Do you know what I mean? Is that Celtic's fault? <laughs> so, fuck. Remember Craig Levine when he had his hands in his face when Celtic scored late? Oh, I. I like that picture. Beautiful. Um, let's let's kind of look back on the Celtic game from the weekend, uh, Celtic versus Hibs. Uh, we do have a question uh, from Chris. Um, Come the end of the split, Rangers will have played 18 times before Celtic this season. There is also a differential of 10 penalties awarded for and against between Celtic and Rangers so far this season. Should someone at Celtic be calling out these statistical anomalies and only ever seem to favour one side in Glasgow? Um, It's a fair point. Uh, Specifically the one about Celtic Rangers always playing ahead of Celtic and not the pressure not kind of being put onto them. What do you think of that, Alan? Yeah, I think uh, I wasn't actually aware of that until um, it was pointed out. Uh, it does seem unusual. Um, it does seem a lot. You want to try and level that out. I'm probably less fussed about who plays first than the second point, if I'm being entirely honest. Um, I don't really mind us playing on a Sunday, if, if I'm entirely frank about it. I don't think players tend to bother too much. Maybe next year if Rangers want to make it a slightly tighter league race, then we could maybe have a discussion then. But since um, since they blew their foot off um, early in this season, it's, it's less of an issue. Um, and then I think when it comes to the the issue over penalties, I'm just always I'm just always conscious of 
how you do it because I don't think it. I think if you do the thing where you write to the SFA or the whoever it is, it sometimes doesn't come across well. And I know people will have different points over it. That if you don't, if you do it when it matters, then it comes across as sour grapes. So you should actually do it when you've got a strong hand like we do at the moment. Um, I think with this season, VR has been an entire game changer. Um, I, I, I am of the opinion that it, there's one team that really has come out of it smelling pretty good, um, which is Rangers, which isn't entirely surprising. But I think this season, you kind of park it. Enjoy the season for what it hopefully is going to be. Hopefully it's going to be a really successful season and just enjoy that and then see where we are next year, to be honest. I would, um, if we see the season out in the manner that we, we are so far, I don't think I'll be spending any time thinking about referees. I'll be enjoying it. And to be honest, as I think we mentioned last week, it's kind of like having your cake and eating it because you get to enjoy it and you also get to moan about referees. And that's just a sweet spot, to be honest. That, that is great. Um, I reserve the right to change my opinion at a later date, but for the moment, I, I wouldn't be doing anything. I would just be enjoying it, sitting back, watching it, and kind of watching us thrive this season and hopefully seeing it through. So I would um, keep my powder dry for the moment and then um, see where we are next year with VAR because I would imagine there'll be a lot of changes in the summer. Probably won't change much, but I think the way used, etc. I'm hoping or I'm optimistic that we'll see some um, kind of changes in how it's communicated, how it's used. Generally, it, you look at other leagues, they're still not using it the way we hope and it's not smooth. But what you see is, is that over time, the interactions become a little less frequent and it becomes a lot smoother in terms of gameplay, etc. So that would be my biggest takeaway. And we'll talk about the game Saturday a wee bit and maybe a wee bit more on that then. But I wouldn't do anything at the moment. I would just enjoy this season for what it's hopefully going to be. Uh, Kieran, I've got a question for, for you from James Stevenson. James asks, if you could compare O to another player, who would it be? I see him as a less angry Diego Costa. What's your thoughts? I can see it. I think he's got the same sort of uh, the build, I guess. I think we're going for like for Celtic players. I think we mentioned before, I do think there's a bit of Dembele and Edward in him. Um, that's sort of a very versatile style of forward um, where he, he can, you know, he's, he's stacked as we, we got a nice glimpse of on the weekend. Um, and, you know, I think his goal, I think his goal, we'll, we'll come on to the game, but I think the goal was a really good moment for him. Not only, because, you know, it's, it's, it's his third goal for the club, but other ones were, you know, they weren't winning goals. They weren't decisive. That, that goal at the weekend, that was a decisive moment where you wanted one of your big players to come up trumps. And it was a really good header, not just in terms of the execution of gear, gearing into the corner, but the way he just outmuscled his marker just to completely get ahead of him. For our twenty-one-year-old, that's really impressive in a really physical league. You know, that's that's quite exciting that he's got that in him, and he does look like he's a big physical threat. You know, we've talked about how his work rate. He's got a bit. He's quite fast as well. He presses well. You know, we talked about his link-up play is quite. Is it's it's the kind of link-up play that where you can hold off a man and play and play a, a guy in. That's something neither Kyogo or Gigi really excel at. So I think that's, you know, I think it's, it was a really, you know, there's, there's still quite a lot of rawness there. He had a couple of other chances. Maybe he should have tried to execute a bit better, but that, you know, he was raw. He's young. He's still, he's a development player. It's going to take, it's going to take time. But yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of Eddie in him and quite a bit of Dembele and I think it's quite exciting that we have that type of player again we do have that option that we can turn to off the bench or maybe start a few games and the fact that 
it was a you know it was a, a really big moment for him and he seemed to love it. So I'm I'm quite excited to see more of him after the break. Yeah, Alan, I think Kieran raises that point that you you need you wanted one of your big players or you wanted someone to do something and you know always the guy he's kind of new in the door and you you were just waiting for that moment for him to do something where you're like right you've earned your kind of calling here and obviously he takes Kyogo after that. How impressed were you? Yeah, I mean, we are talking about that moment in the game because there was very little else for him. Um, he had a couple of, not even half chances, just things that kind of bounced off him before that. But the goal's fantastic. It's, I think everyone likes to see that um, because he's not only, he's got the strength to attract the defender into a one-on-one battle, which I think distracts actually the defender because, yeah. see, sometimes if you're really aggressive with a player, it's almost like they think about that and that alone. And that's that's quite intelligent forward play. That's not just a case of, well, I'll be strong. It's almost like you're trying to tempt him into forgetting a little bit about the ball. And because he has a big, strong guy, I think people would think, I'm going to stop him and that that's my job. And I'm going to kind of forget about the ball. There's a little bit of, you know, clearing the space for him. The delivery is excellent, especially knowing that Marshall doesn't like to come for it. So you can put that ball in just a little bit closer and then all he has to do is make contact. It's, it's, it's a goal that coaches will show other players and they'll look and say, here's what you do. Clear out the space for him. Get a one-on-one battle. Make it really physical with the defender so that he forgets a wee bit about what you're doing and he just wants to be stronger than you. And then you've got the run on the ball. He's watching it the whole way. It is um, it's textbook. It is. I, I loved it. And he was delighted. And you could tell it was a big moment, big goal. That's what um, he looks like, the kind of player that's... Kieran's obviously talking about he's got a bit of Edward and Dembele in him. He's got a little bit of the Jack Amakis in him, and I don't mean the celebration. I think he's the kind of player that if he scores, that's he's happy. Um, I think he's more, probably more of an all-rounder. But in, I think he looks, at the end of the season, he'll look at his stat sheet and think he wants goals on there, and that's how he'll judge himself. And when it's a striker, I'm absolutely fine with that. So, no, it was good. It's a big moment. And I think we talked about him last week that he needed to adjust maybe to the league a little bit and get used to the physical demands because he does have all the power, but it's about using it in the right way. And then for him to do something like that is just in that moment when we needed it was just perfect. Um, it was a great moment. Well, certainly one of the high high points of um, what we've seen on Saturday. Haksabanovic. Uh Myself and Chris Armani will be doing an, an eight-hour deep dive into Haksabanovic. Uh, just to take his time on Saturday, to be honest. Uh, no, um, I, obviously... Uh, the thing that was a little bit different was maybe how we kind of set up, or not how we set up, how we kind of changed a little bit with two strikers on. He had a little bit more of a free roll. He wasn't out kind of wide. Um, and, you know, I, again, you know, there, there probably will be an argument that people will say he's great coming on, but he's not necessarily great starting. Um, which actually, if you look back, you know, he started against Hibs at the start of the season where we won 6-1 and he was very, very impressive. He scored the two goals against Ross County before the World Cup. Um I, but I can understand why people would say, you know, almost less game time. You come on when the game's a little bit more stretched. You know, people are more likely to kind of dive in because they're a little bit more fatigued and stuff. What did you make of his performance? Well, we'll start with Alan because I know what Kian's going to say because you know he's, he's he's part part of the uh, the hacksaw uh, appreciation society. Uh, has Alan? What was your thoughts <laughs> on? I, feel like I spend about ninety percent of my time when I'm talking to. 
you two and Samani trying to bring you all back down to earth. Because <laughs> um, I, I like Haksabanovich as well. I think a lot of people were reading into why he didn't go until quite late. I actually think it was because Jota was looking really, really lively. And I think maybe that like for like switch was, was and maybe just wasn't committed to it. See, when he cuts inside and he gets space, you are, you are toast at that point. Um, he might not score, but he, he does have an exceptional ability to hit the target. Um, and I like that. He doesn't, I mean, that, that goal, and I think that's his best goal he scored for us. I think that was incredible on Saturday. I was right behind it. Um, it was just perfect. Um, his footwork is great in that area. So I was delighted for him. Um, I would have liked to have seen him a little bit earlier, if I'm honest. It felt like the game for him, but, um, you know, I think it was tricky on Saturday with the kind of personnel issues we had. I think Ant had to be just a little bit kind of cute about what changes he made and when, which I think maybe kind of left Haksabanovich to the side, but I, th- I thought it was an exceptional goal. Brilliant. Um, he was delighted with it and everyone's kind of happy for him. And I, I was happy because I genuinely thought him and Jota were going to have a fist fight um, at the end of the game if it didn't work out well because... Jota not cutting it back to him about two minutes before was absolutely outrageous. Outrageous. Um, and he's a very level guy, Haksabanovic. He's quite, he seems quite um, quite chilled out. Oh, he was fizzing. He was absolutely, 30 seconds later, he was still staring over at Jota. And I was thinking, oh, Jota would like to be anywhere else right now because I reckon Haksabanovic could probably take him. I don't want to see him fight. I would hate that. But I fancy Haksabanovic, if I'm honest. Um it was a great goal, really, really nice moment, and he just when he came on, he just it just looked like it was made for him that ten minutes. Um, but get, oh, I was delighted for him, great goal. Do, do you think he's? Do, do you think he ultimately does suit that sort of ten or kind of eight, like more central than out wide? If we played with a natural number ten, I think he. People say that David Turnbull would benefit from that. I think Hans Banovich would love in there. I'd like he likes to play in that pocket and pick up the ball in tight areas. I don't think he particularly likes picking the ball up on the wing if a defender stands off him. Um because he, there's more involved in that. You need to kind of drive at a player. I don't think it's to do with his pace. I just think he likes when defenders are close and tight to him because I think he backs himself every time to have the superior footwork and technique to either win a foul or get a pass or a shot away. He likes, he looks, if we were picking a five-a-side team, I think from the Celtic squad, Haksabanovic would be my first pick because right. in tight quarters, he's probably the best player we've got in the team. Um, so I, I think it's a bit unfair to think that coming on late is his kind of, his niche because I think it's just about getting him the game time um, and using him the right way. And I think if you're good enough doing that in the last 10 minutes, you would just be as comfortable doing it in the first 10, in my opinion. So um, yeah, it's, it's great to have players like that to, to come on in the last 10 minutes, it must be extremely demoralising for a team when you've got a player like that sitting waiting in the wings. Um, but no, it, was, it was a great cameo from him. Outstanding. Yeah, you know, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I just love to see entertaining players like who get you up off your seat and that's exactly what he is. Kieran, I mean, we, we joke, but we're, we're big fans of him. Um, did you enjoy his goal coming on? Oh, yeah. I, I agree with Alan. I think, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of debate because... There was the one against Ross County where it just like passes it into the corner, which is really it's just it's just satisfying to watch. And then obviously the one uh, against Hearts where he just pings it in top corner. But I think I, I agree with Alan that that's the best of the lot. Just because the curl he gets on it, just the way he wraps his foot around it to find the corner, it's just amazing. Because there's a lot of bodies in the way as well, and he just like finds his spot perfectly. It's just, he's just uh, yeah. I, I, I do, I'm a massive Haxabanovich mark, and I would. <laughs> 
I think it'll be interesting because like if I was going into like the big uh, tactics hipster nerd dweeb thing, I would like I wouldn't mind seeing him if Hitati's gonna be out for a few weeks, I wouldn't mind seeing him start number eight for a few games. Um just because he does give he, he has an option there that none of the other option none of the other players do, and that as soon as he receives the ball, he's going forward. You know, he has the Hitati thing where he takes it in tight spaces and he's dribbling it or he's looking for a forward pass. For all the other qualities other options they'll have. Um and I think O'Reilly and Turnbull really ha- hammered home this. They do have a tendency to take one or two touches and then pass it sideways or pass it back. Hagsabanov is just always trying to get the ball forward, whether it's through carrying it or passing it or playing a ball over the top. And I think that's invaluable to have in any part of the pitch. But I think it, you know, Hatati is irreplaceable to an extent. But I think Hagsabanov could go some way of bringing that side of the game of it. Um, but you know, but wait and see. I think uh, you know, but the number of times we've speculated whether this might be a a turning point where we might see that a player in that position going forward under Ange, and it's just not really, it's just not materialised. He has his his set ideas of players and teams and everything. But personally, I think it could be quite fun to see him. If presuming Hitati is out for for a while, it'd be class if we keep speculate at this and Hitati's fucking he's he's back and you know scoring a hat trick first game back. That'd be great. But yeah, I think it'll be. I yeah, I'm a massive. I'm with you, Gal, and, and Zamani. I'm a massive hack, Mark. And um, I think him and Kobayashi, I'm going to try and fit fit some some space for them both in my heart. But it's, it's quite tough at the boat to fit both of them. Is there anything to be said for sacking Ange Postacoglu? <laughs> Make, just listen. Making a Haksabanovich manager, player manager, and making Kobayashi his assistant. I'll come to you first on that question, Ken. No, I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> um, we got a message from uh, our good friend Ken. Ken says, Hello, everyone. Uh, in my opinion, that's our worst 90 minutes so far this season. And do you think it's a great time to get out of our system? Massive three points in the end, though. Hail, hail, up the dubs. Um, well, you know, is that. I, I saw that today and I, I thought that was a bit. Not, maybe not harsh, but then I was thinking back. And Alan, was that our worst 90 minutes of the. Of the season, considering it was against ten men, as uh, you know, you, you had that fact there was ten men for quite a lot of the game. Um, mm-hmm. What's your thoughts? I think it, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's probably the worst domestic performance at Celtic Park this season. Um, I think I spoke to a few people after the game, chatting to folk yesterday. Getting to the stadium at ten to three, kick off at three o'clock, two halves of what fifty odd minutes. Felt like I watched it. 15 minutes of football. Um, and I don't know whether to, whether Hibs, whether it be critical or whether to say actually they executed their game plan extremely well to the extent that it was working for them, not on the park. I, I thought they were quite tidy, to be honest, at points, um, without being particularly effective going forward. But the commitment to just not letting the game flow was just exceptional. Um, I, I would make, if there was ever a time for, I think, the manager to, ask the referee to come over and have a wee quick 10, 15 second chat to say, look, this is ridiculous when the ball goes out of play. Can we can we speed that along? Yeah, within your rights to do that as a manager. Um, I think that would have been the time for it. Every time the ball went out of play, we had other balls in the park, we had players walking past the ball, we had players kicking the ball back on. And look, see when you're a team and you're trying to level the playing field, you do absolutely everything in your, um, your armoury to do it. And that's absolutely fine. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah, you are looking for the referee to maybe help you out a little bit and say, look, people are here to watch football. We need to move it on a little bit. 
David Marshall was genius with the goal kicks, calling in the defenders, sending them up the park. You don't get the allowance for the time it takes the defenders to run up the park. So I was a wee bit frustrated, and I think that fed through to the players. It certainly fed through to the fans. Um, probably you have to credit Hibs for it, but yeah, looking for the referee maybe to step in. He is in charge of the game. You know, it is in his remit. So that was frustrating, and I think it did feed through to the team performance because we didn't get any rhythm. The most interesting thing about the game itself, from our point of view, I thought, was that we it looked like we were trying to tempt Hibs into playing because we did not press particularly hard at all. At points, we actually sat off and it did feel as if it was to the extent that maybe we were trying to allow Hibs to come into the game and try and make a game of it. Um, it wasn't pretty. It really wasn't fun to watch, but it was nice to feel that 2022-type um, jeopardy that we haven't felt in quite some time. Um and it kind of always well that ends well, but as Ken probably says, is right. It is one that you get out your system a little bit and remember that you're not going to have it all your own way. I think we could maybe be a little bit more forceful and actually trying to get the referee to move things along. They're not there to make Celtic life, Celtic's life easier, but by the same token, as a game of football and yeah, there to watch football, it'd be nice to see more than you know 15 minutes of it across a 90 minute game, but um, maybe next time. Uh, a couple of questions, a couple of points on VAR. Um, Paul Gibson messages and says, VAR is ruining the game in Scotland far more than just the teething problems we were told to expect. Should the clubs collaborate and return to the SFA with an ultimatum that it won't be used again until more cameras and professional users are operating the system? The idea is great, but it's so poorly run that it is, that both that, it is doing more damage than good. Um, that was from Paul, and uh, Chris has a, a kind of different point of view on it. Uh, the weekend again proved that VAR is not fit for purpose. It's getting as many decisions wrong as before it was introduced. Do the panel believe there's any chance of putting the genie back in the bottle and removing VAR next season? Um, I think I, I personally don't think that will happen. I think it's just more of a case of trying to improve it. Um, is it ruining the game, Kieran? Uh, or is it ruining aspects of the game? Because it it does feel that every outlet will be talking about VAR this weekend because every game was affected by some VAR. You know, was it a sending off? You know, was it a second yellow? All this sort of stuff. Should we have had penalties? You know, it really does take up a lot of... And you kind of have to cover it because it's, it's key moments within the game. What's your thoughts, Kieran? Uh, yeah, I, I hate it. I've hated it all along. I hated it before it was implemented. I hated it while it was getting implemented. And I hate it even more now because it does it does ruin it as i mentioned before but unless i'm really really like focused and in in the game like always go i went mad for but like a, a lot of the other time i just i i wait five ten seconds because part of me is like is this just going to get chopped off uh, which is just not not fun it's just it ruined the fun from games it's ruined the the the, the elation of spontaneity you get from immediate goals and on top of all that, if anything, it's just made, you know, refereeing controversies even more of the discourse. But this is this this isn't stuff that's surprising or unexpected. No, we could all all of all three of us here knew this was coming. Uh, many many more Celtic fans and Scottish football fans knew this was coming because th- this is how it's been in far far better run governing bodies and leagues around Europe. So it was always going to be a complete and unmitigated disaster. And it, 
the thing for me is just like the consistency is just all over the place. Like it's just it's just mad. Like in in one weekend there'll be a very very harsh handball given as a penalty, and then in another game it'll it'll go free. You know, it's it's just it's just. And the thing that really annoys me about this is how defensive the refereeing body has been. There's been no contrition. There's been no sense of, you know, compromise and say, look, we've got a lot of work to do here. We know we've made a few mistakes, but in the long run, it's going to be, here's here's how the actual policy is in handballs. Here's how we're trying to narrow down, basically give a plan of how they're trying to improve it. They've just been like, Oh, nothing bad is happening. Oh, you know, it's actually, it's actually, this is why that interpretation of the law was good. It's just, it's just this nonsense. They're trying to like self-preservation rather than have any sort of decency or contrition about how much of a disaster it's been. And that just adds a certain toxic element to it as well. Well, you know, like maybe if they were, actually, no, we wouldn't. Like, I mean, they can, they can, they can extend the olive branch all they want. We'd swat out of their hand and spit at their feet or something. I, I agree. Definitely. I'd do that. Uh, they're, they're almost to the point where it's like, actually, do you know whose fault it is? It's your fault for being yes, idiots. The fans. <laughs> you fans are idiots, by the way. Alan? Yeah, it was a good weekend for uh, the, uh, I don't actually, I think actually the Celtic game, probably the decisions were fine. The rest of the league was a nonsense. I mean, the Kilmarnock non-handball is, I think the reason, referees have been given a toolkit now to take away the biggest reason for why they get things wrong, that they didn't see it. They no longer have the Arsene and Wenger defence. Now, when they do see it, they're getting it wrong. It kind of makes you question the standard of the refereeing. And um, teething problems is fine. Looking at a replay and not seeing the ball hit someone's hand that's above the head and impacts the way the ball's going is a nonsense. I have no idea now with the handball rule. And somebody might yeah. send in the rule and how it is, but how it's applied is just a complete nonsense. And we've seen that this year at different phases. Um, it is, it's, it's bizarre. I thought the decisions at Celtic Park. The red card one, I know you talked about it in the reaction. See when you just did a booking like that, don't try an overhead kick when you know defenders in the middle of the park. It was inexperienced to me. Um, the referee doesn't necessarily give a foul and then sends them off, so you can have an issue with that. But you know, I'll take anything that comes away, to be honest, because it's it's been slim pickings this year. I think both penalties were penalties. Um, the referee, when you give the one against Starfelt, you then, you're hit, basically, for any holding in the box, and when um, they're not looking at the ball at all, um, that's a nonsense, and then the one got overturned, obviously, with Leela Bada. I don't know if you spotted it at the game, Gal. It was very funny, because Abada, um, <laughs> Abada was obviously annoyed that Jota wouldn't give him the penalty. Yeah. Um, Abada's probably the, the one person in the stadium, I mean, i seen the penalty, and I thought that's getting overturned immediately, because it wasn't a penalty. i never seen it kick the ground, but I knew David Marshall just kind of stood, stood his ground. Abada surely knows he kicked the ground and that he fell. So why would you make a big deal of trying to get the penalty that you know is probably going to get overturned? So that was kind of comical. But I'll say the same thing I say every week with VR. The one thing that they need to do to help people is tell people in the stadium what's happening. We do not have a clue. We're relying on people that are sitting at home watching to tell us what's happening. And that will... We try and do a lot of things in the UK with regards to some of the bizarre laws about being able to watch football at three o'clock, all with the intention of trying to drive people into stadiums. You, you're not getting the same experience in the stadium as people at home are because they have the benefit of replays. Yeah. If they're reticent to show replays, at least tell us what is being looked at because the communication is not there. Um, we don't know what's happened. And every time the referee stands there with his finger in his ear and his hand up, people just get 
irrationally angry. I had the pleasure of sitting watching the game with my brother and Ian Dugan um, at the weekend. And it was a great way to vent frustration for 90 minutes because as soon as the referee stands there with his finger in his ear, you just go up and think, I'm just going to unload all my frustrations on this one guy. You need to give them a bit of help and give them a bit of toolkit, communicate what's happening. If you're confident that the decision that you've given is a penalty, show what happened to the people in the stadium, whether it's a still image or something. That's what you've got to do because at the moment, all it is is just that just everyone hates it. People get decisions, people don't get decisions. So um, a lot of work to be done, but... Uh, as Kieran and yourself have said, it's not going anywhere and there's a million reasons why it won't. So we just need to learn to try and work with it and improve it. Uh, a question from Kyle. Uh, Hi, guys. Hope we are all well. Quick question for KDev. Did he lose the Starfelt Voodoo doll for the weekend? And if so, can he hurry up and make another one so we can get our best defender back on the park? Keep up the great content. Uh, I mean, Jesus, what were you doing, pal? Jesus, come on. I know. That was complacency, just like uh, maybe some of our centre-backs had at the weekend. Am I right? Am I right? Complacency. Am I right? Get Kobayashi. Oh, I get Kobayashi, and he'll sort. Nah, he'll sort out. Nah, no, no problem. Uh, no, I just, I just left him behind the sofa, but he's back now. Good, good, uh, great stuff. Listen, it was a, it was a hard fought uh, three points, but three points nonetheless, and which is the most important thing at this part of this season. Uh, we did a reaction, Alan. Can I just point out if anyone hasn't seen it? I don't think there's anybody in the world that hasn't seen it. But as soon as we got towards the end of the game, and Sunday, I was looking forward to the wee bear meme where he's behind the tree and then he's half time, he's looking <laughs> out and then at full time of the day. I love that. Every yeah, single great. time we go and go behind and it is, it's great. I'll never not laugh at it. Never, I'm the same. I love that meme. I'm going to look at it as soon as we finish here today, actually. Um, yeah, so we did a full reaction myself, Barry Gallagher and uh, Christopher Bowd. We did it from the um, the new uh, version of the Admiral, the Admiral Woods. It's called now, um, which is just up from from the old Admiral. It's a it's a really good pub. It's there was a really great atmosphere there on Saturday. So we did a reaction from there, full reaction as always, and uh, we'll have the review uh, with Christian. In fact, let me talk you through uh, what we've got this week. So this is the agenda, which drops every Monday. Um, tomorrow on Tuesday, we've got the review. It will be Christian joined by uh, our good friends Claire Wilde and Annabelle McDonald. Um, on Wednesday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show. The Celtic uh, FC Women team, they won in Edinburgh yesterday against Hearts and there's been the draw for the Scottish uh, Cup semi-final and that's against Glasgow City, so Claire will be reacting to that with Lorenzo. Thursday, we've got the Cynic Weekly. Um, Friday, we've got the Weekend Update. Saturday, we've got Celtic Roulette, which uh, will be myself Alan and Barry, um, fun little feature that we've got coming up for you. Uh, and then Sunday we've got another feature that I'm currently working on uh, that hopefully uh, will be good for Sunday. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, another couple of questions. Let's finish with these two questions. We get two questions last week um, that I meant to, didn't have time for uh, during the Cynic Weekly. So uh, we'll drop them now. Dominic asks, if Ange was to leave after four years... So, given us four years, do you think he would come in for Greg Taylor, knowing he would have someone ready made for his style? It would be summer 2025, Greg Taylor would be 27, and if we don't extend his contract, he'll be a free agent. Um, he's clearly had, uh, you know, with his, his old team, uh, bringing in uh, Maeda and, and, and such, you know. What's your thoughts on that, Alan? We'll start with yourself. This is this could be a Craig Levine style boring answer. <laughs> it really, really would depend where he went. I think if he went Premier League, 
I'm not sure he would be the go-to. I think he would come to Celtic. I'm not sure Greg Taylor would be top of that shopping list. Um, I think you would be probably be looking at Rio Hattati, maybe Dyson. Um, I mean, you could pick four or five other players. I'm not sure Taylor would be the top end of that. Um, he's a player of trust. He's been exceptional for us. He's been exceptional this season. And he really has exceeded, certainly, my own expectations of Greg Taylor, which were um, fairly low um, after you know, his signing. Um, he's kicked on to a new level. I'm not sure that that level would kind of lead up, you know, to a kind of a higher end team in the Premier League. But maybe, maybe he would. But if he went Premier League, I'm not sure Greg Taylor would be the one. If he had three signings from Celtic, any ones he wanted, I don't think that would be in my top three. So, um, yeah, I think he might look elsewhere. What about yourself, Kieran? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm fairly similar. Um, I think... Maybe if it was, well, God forbid, he goes to like a lower half Premier League team. I think maybe Taylor. I think Taylor can do a job there. Um, but I'm quite hopeful about Taylor being somebody who he seems to res- like really appreciate what he has at Celtic. You know that that can obviously change in the long term. But he seems to be happy with the role he has in the team, with the football he's playing under Ange, and and being at such a massive club. I think he he respects that. So, you know, I just think it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you know maybe he might get disillusioned to want to go down south to test himself at some point but I, I, you know I, I, I'd i really like his to you know to extend his contract at some point and whether he could be somebody that stays for a long time you know the other thing is, is we, do, we have had those players throughout our, throughout Celtic who are just do a good job and they when they when they played and they're maybe not outstanding stars or you know somebody like McGregor or Brown but they, they are players who give you the best years of the life and they perform consistently and I wouldn't be surprised me if that could be Greg Taylor's career. Uh, the final question, this is how we'll end the podcast. Um, Stevie from Chicago, uh, he emailed in and he says, with uh, it's nine games left in the, in the league, I think, with nine games in the league remaining and we could score another 30 at our current rate, our top goal scorers, and I'll go with, uh, yeah, overall, um, or let me just see, yeah, our top goal scorers in the league are Kyogo, uh, and then it's Abada and then it's Jota, 20, 10 and 9. Will they stay the top goal scorers or is anyone who could usurp them? Oh, uh, well, if you're looking at kind of, see if you were looking at league, just games overall, goals overall, sorry. Uh, Kyogo's got 26, Leal Abada's got 12, Jota's got 11, Daisamaida's got 10 uh, and then we kind of drop down to Rio Hatati eight, but you know that's that's quite a lot. That's all goals that includes. You know we've obviously got a Scottish Cup semi final. We've got potentially got a Scottish Cup final as well. Do you think it will stay with Kyogo, Leal Abada, and Jota? Could Dyson kind of usurp them? What's your thoughts, Alan? I think Kyogo will be way out in front. I'd like to see Kyogo hit thirty five and just pick an arbitrary nice round number. Round number. It just feels like that feels like an outstanding season, and I think. Um, his form, obviously, since the break has just been outrageous. Um, so I don't think it would be too ambitious for him to reach that. Um, I'd like him to follow in the mould of great Celtic strikers, and he has done, of having a real record of scoring in finals as well. So I'll lay down that wee gauntlet for him, which would be nice. And I'm sure he'll be, I'm sure he'll take that on board as an avid listener. <laughs> um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. I wouldn't be surprised if Leila Bada was to add another three or four, maybe even more this season. Even though his game time's limited, 
it just scores goals. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I don't think Jota is going to be usurping anybody's penalty taker. So it probably doesn't want to bank in them. Not that that will add too many to your um, tally when you've got a green and white hoop jersey on. But nevertheless, um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, Abada's kind of edges up to about 15, but Kyogo go way out in front, 35. And I would love, Joe, you know, I'd love Maida to get a hat trick. I don't know why. I just think he would just go nuts. If he scored a hat trick one day, just do laps of the stadium. Just get that much energy and he needs to burn it. He's like uh, like a puppy. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I'm not patronising where I'd like to point out. Because <laughs> yeah. he's extremely talented and he would absolutely have me. Um, so I just want to point out that as with the greatest respect. Mr. Maida, sir. Uh, um, Kieran, your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I think similar. I think Maida's probably the likeliest. I think it's probably I don't I can't really see any of the midfielders doing it, and obviously O oh, just came in too soon and isn't playing much. But I think it'll be I think next season could be interesting. Like, um, you know, I think whether O gets more minutes, whether it becomes like more of a rotation thing with him and and Kyogo. If uh, so, but yeah, I think Made is probably the likeliest. I can't really see anyone sort of pushing anyone from that trio out. I think Haksabanovic, I know he's got five just now, but I think he will score thirty goals uh, between now and the end of the season. So. All of them, all of them, like curlers from outside the box as well. He scores whatever he wants, and whenever he goes from a combined game time of nineteen minutes between <laughs> now and the end of the season, is <laughs> an outrageous return. It's incredible. Eh? Um, listen, this has been fantastic. Uh, start to the week, uh, as always, uh, full of energy and uh, looking ahead. It's it's obviously an international week now, so um, Celtic aren't back to the second of April, but. The 2nd of April, we play Ross County, which is the Sunday, and then it's Rangers the week after. So we're playing Rangers twice in, in April, so it's a big month, one being a Scottish Cup semi-final. So looking forward to it. Um, we got plenty coming up this week, so uh, yes, yeah, stick with us, thecynic.co. Uh, Keenan Devlin, pleasure as always, sir. Pleasure on mine, Chris. Thank you. Uh, Alan Edgar, speak to you soon. Thanks a lot, mate. All this stuff from Kieran Devlin, from Alan Edgar, from myself, Chris Gallagher. This has been The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road.